if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. It's eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. And I don't know about you, but I'm fired up and ready to go on this Monday edition of the Authority. Reagan fires me up every time I play those clips from his inauguration inaugural address in January of 1981. I get fired up here in 2021. It's the third morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord 2021. Thank you so much for being with us. Coming up on the program, Congressman Jim Jordan at 9:48, as each and every Monday he does. schedule permitting. Uh, But we're going to talk to him about a whole host of things. He's been very active and very busy down Capitol Hill. Hill. And then coming up at 1010, we're going to go back to local issues with respect to the indoctrination of our students. Jonathan Broadbent is going to be back with us. He's going to talk to us about uh, an update on what's going on in Beechwood. You may or may not recall my first interview with Jonathan Broadbent, who uh, came on with John Stover of Ohio Value Voters and talked about uh, the Beechwood School Board and the passionate outcry among the parents there uh, to stop the indoctrination lessons that are being forced upon the students in uh, uh, racially divisive, of course, uh, in Beechwood. But he's going to talk to us about that and about what's going on in the state of Ohio with respect to the lawsuit filed against the Ohio State Board of Education for the very same reasons. So Jonathan Broadbent at 1010, Jim Jordan at 948, and you before them, between them, after them, wherever you can find an opportunity. 216-901-0945, Either one of those numbers gets you here. And before we get started with the news of the day, And the conversation of the day, let's start with the Pledge of Allegiance. Please, if you would, rise unless you're driving. Put your hand on your heart if you are. And if you are a leftist, go ahead and take your knee. A child shall lead us. Everyone stand up and say with me. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Nice job, everyone! Yes, indeed. Nice job, everyone. I will continue to play the children leading us because I want to re-indoctrinate them with love of country after they have been indoctrinated to hate this country by woke leftists who continue to try to paint this country as something that it is not. However, 
I will say this. Kudos to the racists on America's left flank for doing everything they can to be self-fulfilling prophets. What do I mean by that? American leftists, hate-filled as they are, have been trying to convince us that this country is systemically racist. Now, they've been doing it for some time. In fact, just our Democrat friends, Democratic uh, uh, Democrats uh, in Congress and in uh, the media, they're kind of one and the same, they have been for years now trying to convince uh, blacks that you have to vote for them because the, uh, the country is racist and they're the only ones who can save them from racism and save them from being subjugated to second-class citizenship and so on and so forth. And they usually try to falsely blame the American right to blame the Republican Party. And it's been very successful. That's why they draw 90 95% of the vote in virtually every federal election. Um, it's not true, of course, but when they claim that America is racist, it is, there is a tinge of truth to it. It's just that it's on the left flank, as noted. And this was proven after Tim Scott, Senator Tim Scott, the only black Republican in the United States Senate, gave a wonderful uh, response, rebuttal address, if you will, to Joe Biden's uh, address to the Joint Session of Congress last Wednesday. Tim Scott came out there and spoke of real unity, the kind of stuff that Joe Biden promised in his inaugural address and then has done absolutely nothing to bring about uh, since that time. Tim Scott actually spoke of real unity and told the truth about America. And what happened immediately afterwards, and in fact during it trended on Twitter during the response, during the, the, the senator's rebuttal address. They trended Uncle Tim as they castigated and excoriated Tim Scott uh, as being an Uncle Tom, as being some sort of slavish, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, dancing, you know, what are some of the other words that they call them besides Uncle Tom? Minstrel. Yeah, minstrel. The minstrel shows. That, that's not the word I was looking for, though. But um, uh, they essentially, you know, insulted Tim Scott for being a black man and preaching a word and a, and a tone of conservatism. And they insulted him right to his very core and, in, in fact, used his skin color as a reason to insult him. That is the very definition of racism. And so I find it really interesting that the left has been claiming that the United States is systemically racist. And then in order to prove themselves correct, they act with systemic racism, telling Tim Scott he doesn't have the right to his own ideas and thoughts. As a black man, he must think a certain way. Well, what is racism if not that? If not telling an individual human being that you are not an individual, you are a part of a group first. You are your skin color, not what's in your heart. That's not who you are. Not what's in your brain. That's not who you are. Not what's in your character, specifically the content thereof. That's not who you are. You are your skin color, and your skin color is brown, and therefore you must be saying things that we agree with on the far left. And if you don't, well, again, the insults were just fast and furious. So it's like the left wants to prove its point about systemic racism by 
attacking a black man and saying, see, look how racist this country is, even though it is them, they, who are actually perpetuating said racism. Now, I bring all of this up, of course, because Joe Biden has actually done a bit of a turn, done a bit of a flip-flop since his address and since Tim Scott's rebuttal. Joe Biden has kind of indirectly said, yeah, he's right. America is not systemically racist, despite saying that they are, or that we are, or that this country is, for so very long. Um, he was forced to kind of admit, no, America is not systemically racist. But he used a caveat saying, the people aren't systemically racist, but the institutions, however, remain. There was a great rebuttal to that um, that I read by Liz Peake uh, over the weekend that I want to share a couple of lines from. Because, quote, this is confusing. After a year of slamming the U.S. as systemically racist, President Biden now says, I don't think the American people are racist. End quote. And like Liz Peake, you, you kind of just want to look at it and say, come again? How can the country be racist, racist if its people are not? Because there is no country. There are people. You understand? Every building that has been built in this country is people. The buildings of government, the halls of Congress, the White House, state legislatures, state capitals, governor's mansions, all all of these things are people. There is no such thing that exists on its own. It exists because people exist. We built them. We occupy them. We are them. How can a country be racist if its people are not? This is the confusing message offered by Joe Biden. A country is not defined by its buildings or its infrastructure. It's defined by its people. And if Joe Biden just admitted that its people are not racist, then America cannot be systemically racist. So there's a bit of, you know, there's a, there's a bit of a chink in the armor, if you will. There's a bit of a crack uh, in the veneer of the, the Democrat playbook here, the Democrat narrative. Because it's true. A, a nation is what its people represent. The nation doesn't represent the people. The people are the nation. The people are the government. The people are the industry. The people are the corporations. The people are the charities. The people are the church. And if the people aren't racist, then none of those things can be racist. Liz Peek went on to say, Surely a country cannot be racist if its people twice elected a black president or if they back policies demanding equality. We have laws banning discrimination. We have jury trials that convict white cops who kill black men. We have schools, religious institutions, neighborhoods, and political parties that are open to all. One indication that the U.S. is not racist is this. Even though whites constitute 60% of all Americans and presumably control many levers of power, they are not the most prosperous group as measured by median household income. Indeed, Indian Americans by far earn the highest income in the U.S. at more than $119,000 in the median, followed by Taiwanese Americans, Filipino Americans, and Chinese Americans. White Americans are only the ninth most prosperous group, with median incomes just shy of $66,000, according to Census Bureau data. Black Americans ranked last, with median average income of $41,500, 
But how can one conclude this, this is due to bigotry when other non-white minority groups fare better than whites? Indians, Indian Americans rather, and Asian Americans far exceed the success of white people. And they are a minority group, just as African Americans are. What constitutes the difference? Clearly, it's not an opportunity. Clearly, it's in willingness and desire to take advantage of said opportunity. Clearly, the difference is structure, family structure, cultural structure, educational structure, commitment to education and prosperity. Those things are the difference. So Biden makes his uh, kind of head-spinning comment in an interview with NBC, asked to respond to the declaration by Tim Scott, who said that America is not a racist country. Uh, Joe Biden actually said yes. He agreed with the Republican senator from South Carolina. Kamala Harris said something similar, telling ABC News, I don't think America is a racist country, but she has spent the last year and a half in the biggest spotlight of her life, both when she ran for president, then became the running mate to Biden, and then, of course, uh, uh, won as vice president, um, she has spent that entire period of time telling everybody how racist this country is. The reality of this situation is this country is the least racist country on the face of the planet, at least among white majority countries. It's the least racist white majority country on the planet. And the proof of it is the extraordinary lengths to which this country has gone to erase and end its racist past. Because it once was in the era of slavery and in the era of Jim Crow. It once was racist. But so much blood, sacrifice, uh, was uh, you know was was made to end those terrible terrible times and thus produce the most amazing opportunity for people of any color, any ethnicity from around the world to come to our shores legally, to come to our shores and borders and come in and achieve greatness. So Joe Biden finally admitting that there is that the United States is not racist, yet continuing to try to advance his narrative. That race is what is cause uh, uh, is what is uh, holding back uh, certain individuals in the United States, and he has to continue to make those statements if he wants them to stay with his party. Okay, nine twenty. Interesting uh, weekend. Uh, a lot of stuff to get into that we heard on the uh, news yesterday, including the Biden administration senior advisor Anita Dunn telling everybody, don't plan on having your kids back in school in September because we're still still not willing to make that commitment. I'll cover that next on AM 926 now we continue on this monday edition of the authority are you awake and i hope you are and i hope it is literally just awake and not woke woke is a very very bad thing to be 
um, companies are starting to decide, you know what, enough wokeness. We have a job to do. We are not here to measure the inclusion rate of our business or our corporation. We are not here to discuss the diversity thereof. We are not here to discuss the political ramifications of said uh, diversity and inclusion, et cetera, et cetera. We're not here to practice wokeness. We're here to practice work. That's our job. Well, one company, a software company called Basecamp, has uh, made that announcement very, very clear to the employees. They've told them enough wokeness. We don't need you discussing and debating and, and judging one another based on your, you know, your, in, your uh, inclusionary aspects, your skin color, your religion, your gender, this, that, the other. We're here to do work. No more than the woke stuff. Well, the employees have responded. As you can only expect woke employees to respond. They've quit. One-third of all of the employees at Basecamp Software have quit after the founders have asked them to focus on work and not wokeness while they're at, you know, work. About one, this is the Daily Wire, about one-third of employees at software company Basecamp quit days after bosses told them to keep ideology out of the workplace and focus instead on business. We make project management, team communication, and email software, said CEO Jason Freed on April 26th. We don't have to solve deep social problems. Chime in publicly wherever, whenever the world requests our opinion on the major issues of the day or get behind one movement or another with time or treasure. These are all important topics, but they're not our topics at work. Tech journalist Casey Newton said about one-third of the company's roughly 60 employees took buyouts shortly after with one fuming. Basically, the company has said, well, your opinions don't really matter unless it's directly related to business. A lot of people are going to have a tough time living with that, end quote. I, I just have to ask, why is it always these types of higher educated, college educated, software or Silicon Valley or tech company workers that are always like this? As well as, you know, the entertainment industry when you get into the actors and so on and so forth. Why is it? Chances are, in, in the hills of West Virginia right now, there aren't coal miners down beneath the earth's surface digging and mining and complaining to one another about what's going on with gender inclusiveness in the workplace. Chances are they're not down there debating and discussing ideological uh, nonsense. They're there to dig coal. They're there not to judge one another and attack one another for their beliefs. But it's always these types of people. And what does that mean? What are these types of people? As noted, the people, it seems, with the highest education... Now, this, of course, isn't to a man or a woman. This isn't everybody. But generally speaking, from a generalization standpoint, those with the highest educations and thus the highest level of indoctrinations into all of this nonsense theory are the ones who bring it to their work, they bring it to their social lives, they bring it to their families, they end up cut off with workplace associations, unless it's with like-minded people, cut off from their families, and cut off from, from all other social aspects of their lives. Again, surrounding themselves only with people who think exactly as they do. And when businesses want to get you back on task, oh, why dare you, don't, how do you, why do you think my opinion doesn't matter? Well, your opinion doesn't matter on, you know, biological males competing in biological female sports. Your opinion doesn't matter on issues of immigration at the border if your job is to build software 
to code and program for our company's success. The report from uh, Casey Newton, tech journalist, said woke tensions boiled over in December when a new hire volunteered to help the company work on diversity issues. Volunteered. This included criticizing the fact that for years many employees had contributed to a list called Best Names Ever, in which they placed funny customer names of the sorts of Bart Simpson uh, used to use when he would prank Mo the bartender on The Simpsons. Things like Amanda Hug and Kiss, Seymour Butts, Mike Roch, and yada, yada, yada. A third of the company joined a diversity initiative behind the volunteer. Two-thirds who had contributed to the list of funny names asked why there had never been an internal reckoning over it. They apologized for their involvement in this terrible joking with funny names because they may have offended people. They, they, they apparently were now included on the pyramid of hate from the Anti-Defamation League. Point being, it got so... Um, intense in this business between people who are just joking and having fun with names and doing what they've always done and others who found offense in every little thing finding it less than inclusive to the point where they couldn't get their work done so the company says no more of the nonsense woke garbage just do your jobs and of course the little sheep quit i'll have more after the bottom of the hour news but i want to hear from you on this as well with this question do you see with and or deal with wokeness being forced upon you by coworkers in your place of business? I'd love to hear from you. 216-901-0945 after this. Progressive Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The Answer. Okay, 937, I, uh, I'll come back in just a real quick second here to the story about the workplace. And I really do want to hear from you. Have you had to deal with any of this in your workplace? Now, maybe you're on the job right now and you can't call the radio station, which is why you want to use our message line, 216-525-1806. But um, legitimately, I do want to know if you have this kind of stuff going on and if your bosses are okay with this either online through company message boards or internal discussion slash debating and sometimes intensity can overtake discussions and debates and turn them into fights, verbal fights, of course. Hopefully there's no fist fights, but uh, I'm curious to see. Like I said, this software company said, enough is enough. We're not doing this anymore. And then the, the wokesters, of course, said, well, then I can't work here. If I can't express myself as much as I want, uh, then I can't work here. Okay, great. But I just want to hit this real fast. The commercial that I just did for Ohio Stands Up, and I tell this you know, to you all the time about the importance of protecting our kids, and that's what Ohio Stands Up is doing. That's why I want you to donate at ohiostandsup.org. Um. Great article yesterday penned by Carol Markowitz in the New York Post. The CDC's cruel, irrational guidance traps our kids in the forever pandemic. And it really is that, isn't it? It's a forever pandemic. How do we know and how, how do we know our kids are trapped in it? Well, did you hear yesterday, in fact, on CNN, Anita Dunn on State of the Union, who is a senior advisor to Biden, said that schools should probably reopen in September if people continue to get vaccinated. But we can't guarantee it. September! September! They're talking about impacting a third school year. 
with COVID policies. A third school year. If you recall when all of this hit in January of 2020, the rest of the, you know, the second semester, January through May and June of that year, were pretty much wiped out for everybody as everybody locked down and closed schools in a panic. Then in this year, in the fall of 2020, now into the spring year in the second semester of 2021, a second school year has been impacted in kids K through 12 and in colleges all over the country with a select few staying open, in person, doing their business, including Hillsdale College, which is where my daughter goes and I'm proud to say. But now they're talking about not even allowing kids to go back to school in a third school year. This coming September, can't guarantee it. Here's Anita Dunn, advisor to the president. Uh, Anita, uh, President Biden said in an interview that schools should probably all be open in the fall. Can you clarify, is it the Biden administration's position that all K-12 through schools should be back full time, in-person learning, start of next school year? And is the Biden White House willing to push back on any teachers' unions or others who stake out any position to the contrary, not backed up by science? So, Jake, one of the great accomplishments of this administration and one the president is very proud of is that 80 percent of the teachers and school personnel in this country have now been vaccinated. If you recall, a couple of months ago, we um, the president made the announcement that we were going to have a special supply of vaccine dedicated precisely for this reason. Now, he said probably he didn't say absolutely. But given the science, if the vaccination program in this country proceeds if people do go get their vaccines there he does believe that schools should be able to reopen in september and reopen safely following the cdc guidelines but he said probably he said did not say absolutely because we've all seen this since unfortunately january of 2020 probably should reopen probably should can't say for sure, despite the fact that they literally, as you heard her say, set aside a special program to vaccinate teachers first. Eighty percent of America's teachers, she said, have been vaccinated. And yet these same teachers working for the same teachers unions refuse to go back to work. The AFT, the American Federation of Teachers, continues to push back against the notion that they should have to go back to the classroom, saying it's not safe. Complete defiance of the science and the statistics. And yet she, on behalf of Biden, will not commit to saying they will be in the classroom in September, along with the students, because they cannot cross the teachers' unions. They carry so much weight in Democrat politics, so much weight in the DNC, so much weight Uh, with the president they can't just guarantee that the students will be back so she has to give the probably should be probably should be we just don't know what the virus is going to look like in september it doesn't matter even while the virus has still been you know enemy number one in this pandemic kids have been in private schools in person all year all year and this year as mark hemingway hemingway said with uh, the federalist um We know plenty about the risks. We know plenty about the ways to put kids in school safely. This is about teachers' unions, not kids, period, point blank. They don't care about the kids. 
And finally, to the point I started to make about uh, Carol Markowitz in the New York Post, the CDC's cruel, irrational guidance traps our kids in the forever, forever pandemic, both in the school set and in camps. Last week, CDC released a fresh set of guidelines for summer camps. Like much of the CDC guidance, the latest was a bunch of irrational nonsense. The camp guidance, clearly written by someone who's never attended a summer camp, said kids must be separated by three feet at all times. They cannot touch one another, be near one another, six feet while they're eating. The CDC maintains vaccinated adults who work at these camps should continue to wear masks. So kids can't see their faces. And the kids, of course, should wear masks, too. The people making these absurd calls will be sitting in air-conditioned offices while children and their underpaid counselors will needlessly be sweating under their masks, playing color war in 90-degree weather. Also last week, CDC finally released updated guidance for vaccinated people. The chart showed that vaccinated people, except apparently summer camp counselors, can now dine outdoors and gather maskless in small groups outside. But the children, forget about it. And this is unbelievable. They just continue to rip the childhood away from the child. There are kids who are going to go through now into their third school year of ridiculous pandemic protocols, robbing them, in some cases, of three-quarters of their high school careers. Unbelievable. 945, quick timeout. Jim Jordan next. AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, my friends, a big question for you. If you are a senior citizen Medicare recipient, or perhaps if you are about to become a Medicare recipient, do you need some help? That's a very simple question. Do you need some help? Because if you do, help is available in the form of Mark King and keeping Medicare simple. You know, the uh, details are overwhelming, uh, really, because you know what? Sometimes Medicare options can be overwhelming. You just can't figure it out. But the details come from Mark King, and they come to you in easily understandable forms. The simplest terms, that's how he explains Medicare options. Him and his team, Mark and his team, making your choices easy to understand. They'll explain what's most cost-effective for you, help you choose a plan that suits your individual needs. Mark will give you unbiased answers and objective advice because he's not beholden to one insurance company over another. He represents them all. That means you know you're going to get the right advice. Call now. For personalized professional service at 440-832-8936, schedule a meeting, a home visit, a cup of coffee someplace, whatever you want to do, and you'll get a personalized option or a list of personalized options in roughly 25 minutes. Call 440-832-8936. Remember, there's no obligation when you do call, but just call and judge for yourself. 440-832-8936. I trust Mark King. I'm telling you. Okay, 948, now we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. And at this hour, on this day, you know what that means. It's time for Congressman Jim Jordan for his weekly visit on AM 1420, The Answer. Congressman Jordan, of course, is a fourth district congressman and also the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. Congressman, good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm fine, Bob. Uh, you doing all right? 
Yeah, a little bit. Uh, got a little, little bit of raspiness going on now. This doggone weather went from like forty to eighty-one in the span of forty-eight hours. <laughs> it always, yeah. it always yeah. messes with you. Some, well, sometimes anyway. But I'm good though, Congressman. Thanks for asking. Uh, okay, a uh, lot, a lot of ground to cover with you this morning in the uh, twelve minutes that we have sure. together. I want to start with a clip that I just played uh, for our audience uh, from Anita Dunn, senior advisor to Joe Biden, on the issue of opening the schools. Um, she cannot commit on behalf of the Biden administration to opening the schools even in September, which, of course, would be the start of the next school year. That that would mean, Congressman, if they don't have the schools open, all schools open in person, that children will be impacted for three consecutive school years, the second semester of 2020, virtually all of this current school year, now into the next one. We're talking three out of four years, for example, for high school students who were freshmen last year or you know sophomores through their senior years. How on earth, with all of the numbers that we see and with the guidance that we see and with the success in private schools and charter schools that have remained open through all of this, how can they possibly justify not saying yes? American schools will all be open in September. No, it's it's completely ridiculous. Uh, it's it's not based on any science, any logic, any fact, any reasoning. I mean, I just came from a school. They've been open the whole year. I just talked to the seniors at this at this uh, little Riverside schools in, in Logan County, Ohio. Um, you know, it's it's like this makes absolutely no sense. But this is today's Democrats. It's all about, uh, I think, some in some ways political. Uh, focus instead of what's best for students, what's best for communities, what's best for our country. Um, you know, it makes absolutely no sense, and let's hope that uh, let's hope that, that that it doesn't continue down this uh, this crazy well, crazy I route mean, that the Democrats have us on. If if you follow it, I mean, it's they're they're really concerned with what's best for the AFT, what's best for the NEA, the teachers unions, the American Federation of Teachers, National Educator Association. They're the ones calling the shots. They got eight, uh, the Anita Dunn in that comment on CNN about not committing to September, said that President Biden is most proud of a program in which he made sure that uh, teachers got first access to vaccines. 80% of America's <laughs> teachers have been vaccinated. Well, if 80% of the teachers have been vaccinated, why yeah. in the world are they not well, being told, get your butts back in the classroom? Yeah, again, it, it, it's politically driven. It's Democrat uh, politics over what's best for kids, what's best for communities, what's best for, for, for students. And as you point out, Where's the logic if, if, as you said, if 80% of the teachers have got the vaccine, for goodness sake, get back to school. And uh, like we're doing in Ohio, like we're doing across the country, but it's typically it's these big urban uh, school districts with the political power and the political clout that, that, that the union has where the problems are. What, what, what was it? I think it was the Chicago system where the head of the union was saying, well, we can't go back to school. Meanwhile, she was on vacation in, like, Jamaica or something uh, doing the Zoom call. I mean, it's like... This is the kind of stuff that drives parents crazy, and it's why you see some of these video- videos that went viral where a parent stands up and said, it's time for the board to make a decision to get us back in school, get our kids back to getting the education that they deserve. No question about it, and it's so frustrating because you know it's obvious that the unions are calling the shots. The there are emails uh, that have been uncovered uh, that show the American Federation of Teachers, the AFT, lobbying the CDC to change its guidance on school reopenings. Uh, this was just discovered literally in the last few days. You know, yeah, trust uh, for, the science, Bob. Trust yeah. the science. Yeah, yeah. And, and I and I have no idea. And and the AFT, by the way, is bragging about how proud they are of their teachers for being on the front lines during this pandemic. Front lines, you're in your bed, you're in your kitchen, teaching from your kitchen. How are you in the front lines? 
Unbelievable. Uh, okay, let's move on. Speaking of, speaking of what's best for kids, you talked about uh, that a moment ago. Let's uh, transition to the border. Uh, we continue to see just scores and scores of unaccompanied minors coming to the United States and, of course, overwhelming the system, sometimes four, five, six, seven times capacity in the uh, facilities that are uh, being made available while they're processed. They simply don't have the room and they don't have the staff. So, congressmen, in their wisdom... The Biden administration is now sending 500 Department of Agriculture yeah, workers yeah, down to the yeah. border to patrol and process migrants uh, at the border at, who have no training whatsoever, no background for this, but they just have no choice because instead of, I don't know, securing the border, they continue to let it remain open, and now they're just sending people down from different departments who can't even, who don't even know what they're doing down there. No training Shows how how serious the crisis, how how, how the chaos that's that's on our border, it just underscores that. But here's the big concern: is what the Biden administration is going to do? And, and we we talked about this a few weeks ago. They're going to look to just process. They're not going to try to address the problem. They're not going to put back in place the policies that 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 President Trump had that that had the border under control, namely the Remain in Mexico policy. Uh, while we're actually evaluating these claims. They're not going to do it. They're just going to send more people there and process faster. So it's a, it's a processing problem for them, not a, not the underlying problem of, of, of the, the flood of, of migrants coming to our southern border. So that is, that's a big concern. And then when you send people down there who, as you point out, aren't qualified, aren't trained to do this, that, that's a problem in and of itself as well. But this is the, the Biden administration says we're just going to make the – we're going to turn them over, do the process quicker, better – uh, meanwhile, we're not going to address the underlying problem. That's it. That's the tack they're taking, and it's and it's very wrong. And the American people, I think, again, understand how wrong it is. You and I spoke last week on Wednesday before the president's uh, address to the uh, Joint Chamber uh, session yes. of Congress. Uh, so I want to ask you about this because it ties into what we're talking about right now. He spoke for an hour and he waited until about minute 58 to mention immigration, yep. to mention the yep. border, offered no solutions whatsoever, does not acknowledge the crisis, does not acknowledge what we just talked about, how untrained personnel in different departments are being forced to go down there and deal with a situation that he assigned to Kamala yeah. Harris to deal with. And here we are, yeah. 35 or so days since he made that designation. She has not yet done a thing about it. Um, he, he, they're not taking this seriously, and, and I want to know what, if anything, well, the Congress can do about it. They're going to exacerbate the problem, because as you point out, he waited an hour to talk about it, and when he did talk about it, he talked about amnesty. Yeah. Millions of people who came here illegally in the first place. So how does that address that? That only encourages more people to come, which will require more people to be down there in the process. They're never going to address the problem. Biden hasn't been to the border. Secretary, our, our, our Vice President um, uh, uh, Harris hasn't been to the border. And when Secretary Mayorkas went down there, they wouldn't let the press in. And they're still not letting press in into the facilities to show the American people just how chaotic the whole situation is. So um, there were a host of problems, though, with that speech. I mean, but it was it was maybe... I said to someone, I, I've been to funerals with more excitement than in that speech. And you can't <laughs> President Biden's address last week to President Trump's address a year and a half ago, where the, where, where the energy in there with President Trump, when, particularly when, when he presented uh, Rush Limbaugh with the Medal of Freedom, when he highlighted the families and those young kids and some of our military. I mean, it was, it was just an amazing contrast. I, I, I said to someone, this was... Um, Cradle to grave socialism presented in slow motion. I mean that that's that's what that speech was, 
Uh, and again, what a contrast from when, when President Trump delivered his a year and a half ago. Yeah, what a contrast in the attention of the American people as well. The ratings were abysmal for yeah, Biden's yeah. Uh, address here. You know, despite the fact that he isn't talking, he's done one press conference. Uh, you know, there's an appetite to find out what's going on in the Oval Office, but not when this guy's delivering it. Nobody tuned in to hear what he, yeah. what, what he had to say. Now, um, what I was concerned about is that not enough people tuned in after, of course, because it's just the way that it is. Um, if people don't watch the main event, they're not watching the, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the rebuttal, if you will. Tim Scott delivered a phenomenal address. It was filled sure with did. the type of unity that Biden promised in his inaugural address has, and has done nothing mm-hmm. to, uh, to act on. Uh, it was unifying. It was positive. And Congressman, what I want to ask you, I mean, you know where this is going. As he spoke, the words Uncle Tim, a slur, uh, were trending on yeah. Twitter by the left as they demonized yep. this black man for daring to have his own ideas and not spewing forth uh, the tenets of BLM and everything that they yep. stand for. Um, it's the worst type of most pernicious racism to tell a man that he cannot have his own mindset because he is a certain yep. skin color, that he should be black first and an in- independent thinker never. This is this is uh, this is today's left. Uh, Barry Weiss, who's not conservative, Barry Weiss, former editor of the New York Times, when she wrote her resignation letter, she talked about if you if you engage in in any type of speech or any type of thinking that is contrary to the woke mob out there, if you do that, you will face the digital thunderdome. As Tim Scott is speaking, he was being thrown in the thunderdome that yeah. Barry Weiss talked about, and the left attacked him. And he's a good man. He's a good senator. Um, and it's, it's again. This is this is how the left operates. They will call you names, and you you know how it is, Bob. If you disagree with the left, they 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 pull out the worst thing. They start calling you racist, no matter no, regardless of what you said, just because you disagree with them. It is it is terrible. It is wrong. And again, I, I always come back to this. I think the people of this great country are so fed up with this, so sick of this that um you, you know you're going to see you're going to see a, a, a more of a focus on on Republican principles, and I think the support for Tim Scott has only gotten stronger. I do, too, and I think he has been incredibly uh, humble. I think he's been gracious, even though he is upset by the criticism and the racism. He literally is being attacked for the color of his skin. There's just no stronger definition of racism. I think he's been amazing in this, and I think, uh, and I certainly hope that more more African-Americans are inspired by his his courageous willingness to be himself. He's a great guy, great senator. Uh, but uh, you made me think of uh, you know Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh had a great great line. I mentioned him earlier. Uh, Rush had a great line. He says uh, that you know the definition of racist uh, uh, racist is anyone who can win a debate with a liberal. I mean, that's what it was. So Tim Tim is is winning the debate, making the argument that makes sense, that actually brings our country together. Um, and of course, the left has to attack because he's winning winning the debate. Well, what's really amazing is, you know, another uh, another African-American who wins a lot of debates with liberals, Candace Owens, has been literally mm-hmm. called has been literally called a white supremacist. A black woman has been called. And they're doing the same thing with Tim Scott. You white supremacist. Wait a minute. <laughs> How can that be? But but it's real. Yeah. Um, last yeah. thing. Last thing before you go. I'm looking ahead to 2022. And I know a lot of other people are as well. Another state has passed a Georgia-style election integrity law. Florida has upgraded, uh, rewriting its state election laws with guardrails to present, prevent against fraud. And I see more and more red states and red legislatures are doing this to make sure that the elections yeah. are, 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 you know, are credible. Um, how do you feel about that? Does that give you hope? And, and how, da- in fact, let me ask you this. Not only does it give you hope, does HR1, would HR1 rather, 
supersede these state laws that are being passed, like Georgia's, like Florida's, and others, yeah. if it does pass the Senate? Yeah, in some ways it would. And plus, it would, it would add that you know you have to pay for Nancy Pelosi's reelection campaign to take taxpayer dollars to help finance campaigns. So there's a host of problems. In some ways, it would on voter ID and other 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 areas. It would supersede what states are doing. So it's important we stop that bill. But what states are doing, I am so encouraged by this. The founders, in their wisdom, set up our amazing system to protect your liberties. And at the federal level, they had the, the separate and equal branches of government, the checks and balances that we all learned about. But they also set up this federal system where states could also push back on the federal government. And that is an important safeguard to protect your liberties as well. And we're seeing it happen in Georgia. We're seeing it happen in Florida. So many states are introducing legislation to protect the integrity of our election process. This is how the founders wanted it to work. As many checks and balances out there to protect liberty, to protect the basics in our system. It is so darn important. And so I'm very, a couple weeks back, well, I guess it was about six, eight weeks ago, when the Ohio General Assembly overrode Governor DeWine's veto on the legislation that took some power away from him on this lockdown measures that he's imposed on the state. That was a huge win for liberty, and that's, again, how it's supposed to work. So states pushing back is a great thing, and we're seeing it now happen all across the country. Congressman Jim Jordan, terrific responses, terrific analysis. Thanks so much for your time, sir. We'll talk soon. You bet. Take care. Jim Jordan on AM 1420. The answer takes us into the news. On the other side, we go local. Well, semi-local, certainly statewide. We talk about what's going on in the Ohio Board of Education and more. AM 1420, The Answer.